You're listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. This is the wrap-up teaching for week 7, covering Numbers chapters 22 through 25. All right, so now we're going to start. I'm going to take a few minutes just to wrap up some of these thoughts, some of the discussion that we just had. We'll definitely pull into um, some of the themes that I'm going to talk about. So we're going to start with Balaam, just like we did here, and then I will finish just a little bit with the whole Phineas story. Um, So although these stories seem a bit unusual, and to say the least, (laughs) um, I still think there are a lot of awesome truths that we can pull out, so we're going to try to do that together. Um, First, in this first story, through a pagan prophet, a donkey, a fearful king, and attempted cursing, there are two main themes that I saw over and over again, and that is the Lord is determined to bless his people, and God can use anyone or anything to be his spokesperson and accomplish his will. So I'll say those again, because you'll hear me say them a lot. The Lord is determined to bless his people, and God can use anyone or anything to be his spokesperson and accomplish his will. Very similar to what Grace said earlier. So let's go ahead and take a little bit of a closer look. As we talked about last week, the generation of Israelites, the new generation, was starting to see some success against other nations. Chapter 21 ended with the Lord giving victory to Israel. So what happens next? Balak, king of Moab, becomes fearful of these mighty people. Um, so quick little side note. Um, I found it very interesting, I don't know if anyone else did, how this contrasts, how the Israelites saw themselves back when the spies went into the land. They're like, oh, these people are so big, we're so small. And now other nations are fearing them. So because of this fear, Balak summons Balaam to bring curses to the nation of Israel so they can defeat them. But the Lord is determined to bless his people. What happens next kind of blows my mind, and we kind of talked about this earlier, but Balaam, a pagan prophet or sorcerer, is met by Yahweh. He calls him that, um, the one true God. And it, but God gives him some pretty straightforward instructions. He tells him not to go with the Moabite princes and not to put a curse on the people because they are blessed. And after the second set of princes come, uh, he's told that you can go, but you must do what only I tell you to do. And so we are starting to learn in this story that God can use anyone or anything to be his spokesperson and accomplish his will, even a pagan prophet. And now, a donkey. A donkey who is trying to safely transport her rider. She tries to get him out of harm's way, but instead of receiving appreciation, she gets beaten. We find here that Balaam is on a reckless path and is blind to the spiritual being in front of him. I said this earlier, but a blind sorcerer. Take that in for a second. A sorcerer is supposed to see things that no one else can see, but he's blinded. Um, Pretty cool little thing to think about. Um, There are a ton of parallels uh, to this obscure and even kind of humorous, at times, story um, that we're not going to be able to get into, but I do want to encourage you to take some time to think about this on your own. Think about some of these questions. Who does Balaam remind you of as he is walking this reckless path with blind eyes? What about the donkey who actually saves Balaam from death but gets beat in the process? And what might the angel of the Lord with the sword represent? We talked about that. Um, Can you relate to anyone in this story? So take some time. I would encourage you to take some time to think about some of those things throughout, throughout your week. 
So why this bizarre story about the angel and a talking donkey, and we talked about this earlier as well, but I think there are multiple answers here, but just to name a few, um, I was hoping it would get Balaam's attention, but we kind of talked about it, you know, it, it doesn't exactly, so that's interesting. Um, it shows, but it does show God's power and Balaam's lack of power. Um, it shows Balaam his right position under God's authority, whether he sees that or not. We can see that in this story. And that he, I would think too, it helps him to realize that he is speaking only what the Lord can tell him to do. He saw that power and he can't say anything. He has to speak what the Lord says. And again, it teaches us that God can use anyone or anything to be his spokesperson and accomplish his will. And he's determined to bless his people. So both of these things will continue um, as Balaam meets Balak and the oracles are given. So what comes next is an awesome glimpse into God's heart and plan for his people. Through a pagan prophet, God will speak blessings over this nation that both reflect, like we said, um, past promises and point to future fulfillments. And despite continuous failure, disobedience, and sin, God is still determined to bless his people. Um, even in that exact moment, while these blessings are being spoken on the mountain, they very well might have been down there still grumbling. They didn't even know this was happening in that moment. But God's character and heart for his people is unchanging, even when they don't deserve it. Um, and that goes for us, too, which should give us hope. Um, so these oracles, uh, in these oracles, we can see God's character. We can see his blessing and promises and his plan to deliver his people through a coming Messiah. Um, the first three oracles kind of reflect, we said this earlier, but the kind of this cultural mandate that was given in Genesis 1 um, and the covenant promises given to Abraham in Genesis 12 and 15. And then the fourth oracle points us beautifully to Christ um, as the star that will come out of Jacob, a scepter that will rise out of Israel. I think God really wanted uh, his people to know that his promises still stand. He has not, nor he will not, forget his people. They will be blessed, and he will bless all the nations through them. And this, again, should give us tremendous hope. Uh, in this story, God turns curses into blessings. In our story, he does the same thing. God uses a cross to bring resurrected life, which gives us abundant blessing in Christ. And if we are his followers, um, we already receive the blessing of salvation and, have, and being called his children. And we look forward to the day when that blessing will be made complete in the new and better promised land. And remember, I said it three times already, um, God can use anyone or anything to be his spokesperson and accomplish his will. If he can use a pagan prophet and a donkey, surely he can use us too. Um, it's just super encouraging thoughts that I've been kind of stewing over a lot. Um, I want to encourage you to spend some time this week asking God if there's a place in your life um, where you can use your voice to bring glory to him and to point others to Christ. Um, ask him to speak through you, and he'll be happy to do that. Um, so this brings us then to chapter 25, uh, where we see another obscure story in the narrative. Um, the jump from this great blessing, though, in Balaam's oracles, which I think was kind of being said over here, to the darkness of sin in this chapter is a little bit jarring. <laughs> I don't know if, it, if that did yet anyone else. I'm like, oh, this is awesome, all these blessings. Now look at this sin. They're worshiping other gods. Oh, it's a little bit the two extremes there. Um, but we have seen this in other places of scripture as well. In Exodus, the beauty and wonder of the law being given at Mount Sinai was followed shortly after by the golden calf. Also in Leviticus, um, after the ordination of Aaron, was followed closely by his sons disobeying. Um, and here again, it's happening in chapters 23 to 25, we see God's immeasurable blessings and grace 
followed by man's propensity to sin. Um, but this just shows us how much we need him. So what is happening in chapter 25 seems kind of eerily similar to the golden calf incident in Exodus. Uh, once again, people are worshiping other gods, and once again, God's anger is burning against them. Um, if you want to further your study, I would encourage you to go back and compare those two stories. Um, there's some fascinating similarities there. So there's a reason why God instructs his people not to intermarry with nations around them, their neighbors. I like that. Um, who, those, especially those who are enemies to God. Look what it led to. Um, complete idolatry and costly sin. We also learn here that sin isn't a private matter. It affects the people around you greatly. So because of their actions, it is clear that the Israelites are disobeying God's law, um, which told them to have exclusive allegiance to, allegiance to and worship of the one true God and God only. They are completely disregarding those first two commandments that they were given not that long ago. So a plague broke out and, and killed thousands. Um, and God is always true to his promises, right? Yes, he promised blessing in the previous chapters, uh, but he also said that this old generation is going to die in the wilderness. He's true to that promise as well. Um, and we're seeing that happening here. This getting towards the end of that generation. So the old generation is dying off and a new generation is taking shape. Uh, we have seen Moses as Israel's intercessor time and time again, but th this time things are starting to change. Um, as a punishment for their sin, God instructs Moses to kill the leaders of the people who are involved. We kind of talked about this a good bit. We don't know exactly why, but it doesn't seem like he does exactly that. Um, he actually instructs, all, like we said, all the people to be killed. Um, so another intercessor steps up, like we talked about in Aaron's grandson, Phineas. Um, his form of intercession, like I said, seemed a bit extreme, but this sin was detestable, like Aaron said, to God. Um, this plague already, and I'm going to reiterate it again because I think it's so powerful, the, the plague already started and because of the sin and disobedience that was taking place more outside of the camp. But now this sin and disobedience is brought inside the camp in the eyes of Moses and the leaders and closer to the presence of God. So talk about a bold and high-handed sin. We've used that word before. Says, that is such a bold sin. You're, you're, you know this is what you're not supposed to be doing. You're bringing it even closer to God and his holiness. So Phineas steps up with zeal. Uh, that's a word that they use a lot more in the um, NIV. I think they use jealousy more in the ESV. But he steps in with zeal for the Lord and makes atonement for the people through sending a spear through the man and the Midianite woman. And it's apparent that the next generation is ready to follow the Lord, at least for a little while. <laughs> um, we can see in this story that God is a jealous God. He is possessive of our worship and service that belong to him alone. He wants and deserves our full hearts, lives, and adoration. Let's take some time this week to ask ourselves these questions. Is there something standing in the way of giving God our whole self? Is there another object of our worship? might not look the same as what they were doing, but is there another object of our worship that is pulling us away from the Father? Aaron encouraged us last week to look to him in all circumstances. And now, with our eyes fixed on the Lord, let us be his spokespeople, his spokesperson, and live our lives in exclusive allegiance and devotion to the one who brings blessings out of curses and deserves all of our praise.